0: A man loses his wife and goes wild with grief, but does manage to keep his daughter's love. But when he overcomes that grief, he may have lost sight and grip of what he loves the most. And a tea kettle is found by an enterprising priest, leading to a funny and remarkable tale. Welcome, you awesome listeners. Crank up the sound and get ready to relax with two Japanese folktales. Before we jump in, A huge thank you to my latest Ogre Enforcer, Lee Bauer. I'm drinking my Ogre right now, and from my tea-infused heart. Thank you so, so much. Also, an honourable mention to Christina Siebold, who has been listening non-stop, it appears, to this podcast. I really do have the best listeners. Now, let's get to some Tales, mates the flute long since there lived in Yedo a gentleman of good lineage and very honest conversation his wife was a gentle and loving lady to his secret grief she bore him no sons but a daughter she did give him whom they called oyone which being interpreted directly is rice in the ear each of them loved this child more than life and guarded her as the apple of their eye, and the child grew up red and white and long-eyed, straight and slender as the green bamboo. When Oyone was twelve years old, her mother dropped with the fall of the year, sickened and pinned, and ere the red had faded from the leaves of the maples, she was dead, and shrouded and laid in the earth. The husband was wild in his grief, he cried aloud, he beat his breast, He lay upon the ground and refused comfort, and for days he neither broke his fast nor slept. The child was quite silent. Time passed by. The man pre-force went about his business. The snows of winter fell and covered his wife's grave. The beaten pathway from his house to the dwelling of the dead was snow also, undisturbed save for the faint prints of a child's sandaled feet." In the springtime, he girded up his robe and went forth to see the cherry blossom, making merry enough and writing a poem upon gilded paper, which he hung to a cherry tree branch to flutter in the wind. The poem was in praise of the spring and of the sake. Later, he planted the orange lily of forgetfulness and thought of his wife no more. But the child remembered. Before the year was out, he brought a new bride home a woman with a fair face and a black heart. But the man, poor fool, was happy, and commended his child to her, and believed that all was well. Now because her father loved Oyone, her stepmother hated her with jealousy and deadly hatred, and every day, she dealt cruelly by the child, whose gentle ways and patience only angered her the more. But because of her father's presence, She did not dare to do Oyane any great ill, therefore she waited, biding her time. The poor child passed her days and nights in torment and horrible fear, but of these things she said not a word to her father. Such is the manner of children. Now, after some time, it chanced that the man was called away by his business to a distant city. Kyoto was the name of the city, and from Yedo. It is many days journey on foot, or on horseback. Howbeit, it goes the man, needs must, and stay there three moons or more. Therefore he made ready, and equipped himself and his servants that were to go with him, with all things needful. And so came to the last night before his departure, which was to be very early in the morning. He called Oyone to him and said, Come here then, my dear little daughter. So Oyone went and knelt before him. What gift shall I bring you home from Kyoto? He said, but she hung her head and did not answer. Answer, then, rude little one. He bade her, Shall it be a golden fan, or a new orbi of red brocade, or a great battle door with images upon it, and many light-feathered shuttlecocks? Then she burst into bitter weeping, and he took her upon his knee to soothe her. But she hid her face with her sleeves and cried, as if her heart would break, and said, O father, 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 she said, do not go away. But my sweet, I needs must, he answered, and soon I shall be back, so soon, scarcely it will seem that I am gone, when I shall be here again, with fair gifts in my hand. Father, take me with you, she said. Alas, what a great way for a little girl! Will you walk on your feet, my little pilgrim, or mount a pack horse? How would you fare in the inns of Kyoto? Nay, my dear, stay. It is but for a little time, and your kind mother will be with you. She shuddered in his arms. Father, if you go, you will never see me more. Then the father felt a sudden chill about his heart that gave him pause. But he would not heed it. What? Must he, a strong man grown, be swayed by a child's fancies? He put Oyone gently from him, and she slipped away as silently as a shadow. But in the morning she came to him before sunrise with a little flute in her hand, fashioned of bamboo and smoothly polished. I made it myself, she said. From a bamboo in the grove that is behind our garden, I made it for you. As you cannot take me with you, Take the little flute, Honorable Father. Play on it sometimes, if you will, and think of me. Then she wrapped it in a handkerchief of white silk, lined with scarlet, and wound a scarlet cord about it, and gave it to her father, who put it in his sleeve. After this, he departed and went his way, taking the road to Kyoto. As he went, he looked back thrice, and beheld his child, standing at the gate, looking after him. Then the road turned, and he saw her no more. The city of Kyoto was passing great and beautiful, and so the father of Ione found it, and what with his business during the day, which sped very well, and his pleasure in the evening, and his sound sleep at night, the time passed merrily, and small thought he gave to Yedo, to his home, or to his child. Two moons passed, and three, and he made no plans for return. One evening he was making ready to go forth to get a great supper of his friends, and as he searched in his chest for certain brave silken hakama, which he intended to wear as a honour to the feast, he came upon the little flute, which had lain hidden all this time in the sleeve of his travelling dress. He drew it forth from its red and white handkerchief, and as he did so, felt strangely cold with an icy chill that crept about his heart. He hung over the live charcoal, Of the Hibichi as one in a dream, he put the flute to his lips, where there came from it a long-drawn wail. (sighs) He dropped it hastily upon the mats and clapped his hands for his servant and told him he would not go forth that night. He was not well. He would be alone. After a long time he reached out his hand for the flute, again that long and melancholy cry. He shook from head to foot, but he blew into the flute. Come back to Yido. Come back to Yido. Come back to Yido. Father. Father. Father! The quivering childish voice rose to a shriek, and then broke. A horrible foreboding now took possession of the man, and he was as one beside himself. He flung himself from the house and from the city, and journeyed day and night, denying himself sleep and food. So pale was he and wild, that the people deemed him a madman and fled from him, or pitied him as the afflicted of the gods. At last he came to his journey's end, travel-stained from head to heel with bleeding feet and half dead of weariness. His wife met him in the gate. He said, "'Where is the child?' The child? She answered. I, the child, my child, where is she? Where is she? He cried in an agony. The woman laughed. (laughs) Nay, my lord, how should I know? She is within at her books, or she is in the garden, or she is asleep, or mayhap she has gone forth with her playmates, or- Enough! No more of this. Come, where is my child? Then she was afraid and said, in the bamboo grove. She said, looking at him with wide eyes. There the man ran, and sought Oyone, among the green stems of the bamboos. But he did not find her. He called, Yone, Yone, and again, Yone, Yone, but he had no answer. Only the wind sighed in the dry bamboo leaves. Then he felt his sleeve, and brought forth the little flute and very tenderly put it to his lips. There was a faint sighing sound. Then a voice spoke, thin and pitiful Father, dear father, my wicked stepmother killed me. Three moons since she killed me. She buried me in the clearing of the bamboo grove. You may find my bones. As for me, you will never see me more. With his own two-handed sword, the man did justice, and slew his wicked wife, avenging the death of his innocent child. Then he dressed himself in a coarse white raiment, with a great rice straw hat that shadowed his face. And he took a staff and a straw raincoat, and bound sandals on his feet. And thus he set forth upon a pilgrimage to the holy places of Japan. And he carried the little flute with him in a fold of his garment, upon his breast. The Teakettle and the Tinker Long ago, as I've heard tell, there dwelt at the temple of Morinji, in the province of Kotsuki, was a holy priest. Now, there were three things about this reverend man, First, he was wrapped up in meditations and observances and forms and doctrines. He was a great one for the sacred sutras, and knew strange and mystical things. Then, he had a fine, exquisite taste of his own. And nothing pleased him so much as the ancient tea ceremony of the cha no yu And for the third thing about him, he knew both sides of a copper coin well enough, and loved a bargain. None so pleased as he when he happened upon an ancient tea kettle, lying rusty and dirty and half-forgotten in a corner of a poor shop in a back street of his town. An ugly bit of old metal, says the holy man to the shopkeeper, but it will do well enough to boil my humble drop of water of an evening. I'll give you three ren for it. This he did and took the kettle home, rejoicing, for it was of bronze and fine work, the very thing for the cha no yu. A novice cleaned and scoured the tea kettle, and it came out as pretty as you please. The priest turned it this way and that, and upside down, looked into it, tapped it with his fingernail, and smiled. A bargain, he cried, a bargain, and rubbed his hands. He set the kettle upon a box, covered over with a purple cloth, and looked at it so long that first he was fain to rub his eyes many times, and then to close them all together. His head dropped forward, and he slept. And then believe me the wonderful thing happened the tea kettle moved though no hand was near it a hairy head with two bright eyes looked out of the spout the lid jumped up and down four brown and hairy paws appeared and a fine bushy tail in a minute the kettle was down from the box and going round and round looking at things a very comfortable room to be sure says the kettle pleased enough to find itself so well lodged it soon began to dance and to caper nimbly, and to sing at the top of its voice. Three novices were studying in the next room. The old man is lively, they said. Only hark to him. <laughs> what can he be at? <laughs> and they laughed in their sleeves. <laughs> Heaven's mercy, the noise that the teakettle made. Bang, bang, thud, thud, thud. The novices soon stopped laughing. One of them slid aside the karakami and peeped through. Uh Ah, The devil and all's in it! The master's old tea kettles turned into some sort of badger. The gods protect us from witchcraft. All for certain, we shall be lost. And I scoured it not an hour since, said another novice, and he fell to reciting the Holy Sutras on his knees. A third laughed. (laughs) I'm for a nearer view of the Hobgoblin. Let's take a look, he said. So, the lot of them left their books in a twinkling, and gave chase to the teakettle to catch it. But could they come up with the teakettle? Not a bit of it. It danced and it leapt and it flew up into the air. The novices rushed here and there, slipping upon the mats. They grew hot. They grew breathless. (laughs) Laughed the wonderful teakettle. Presently the priest awoke. All rosy, the holy man. What's the meaning of this racket? He says. Disturbing me at my holy meditations and all. Master, master. Cried the novices, panting and mopping their brows. Your teakill is bewitched. It was a badger, no less. And the dance it's been giving us, you'd never believe. Stuff and nonsense, says the priest. Bewitched? Not a bit of it. There it rests on its box. Good quiet thing. Just where I put it. Sure enough, so it did. Looking as hard and cold and innocent as you please, there was not a hair of a badger near it. It was the novices that looked foolish. A likely story indeed, says the priest. I have heard of the pestle that took wing to itself and flew away, parting company with the mortar. That is easily to be understood by any man. But a kettle that turned into a badger? (laughs) No, no. To your books, my sons, and pray to be preserved from the perils of illusion. That very night, the holy man filled the kettle with water from the spring and set it on the hearth to boil for his cup of tea. When the water began to boil, Ah! The kettle cried, The heat of the great hell! And it lost no time at all, but hopped off the fire as quick as he please. Sorcery! Cried the priest. Black magic! A devil! A devil! A devil! Mercy on me! Help! Help! He was frightened out of his wits. The dear good man. All the novices came running to see what was the matter. The teakettle kettle is bewitched, he gasped. It was a badger, assuredly it was a badger. It both speaks and leaps about the room. Nay, master, said a novice. See where it rests upon its box? Good quiet thing. And sure enough, so it did. Most reverend, sir, said the novice. Let us all pray to be... Preserved from the perils of illusion. (laughs) The priest sold the tea kettle to a tinkerer and got for it twenty copper coins. It's a mighty fine bit of bronze, says the priest. Mind I'm giving it away to you. I'm sure I cannot tell what for. (sighs) Ah, he was the one for a bargain. The tinkerer was a happy man and carried home the kettle. He turned it this way and that, and upside down, and looked into it. Eh, a pretty piece,' says the tinkerer. "'A very good bargain.' And when he went to bed that night, he put the kettle by him, to see it first thing in the morning. He awoke at midnight, and fell to looking at the kettle by the bright light of the moon. Presently, it moved. Though there was no hand near it. "'Strange,' said the tinker. But he was a man who took things as they came.' A hairy head with two bright eyes looked out of the kettle's spout. The lid jumped up and down. Four brown and hairy paws appeared, and a fine, bushy tail. It came quite close to the tinker, and laid a paw upon him. Well, sage the tinker. I am not wicked, sage the tea kettle. No, I don't think you are, sage the tinker. But I like to be well treated. I am a badger tea kettle. So it seems. At the temple they call me names, and beat me and set me on fire. I couldn't stand it, you know. (laughs) I like your spirit. I think I shall settle down with you. Shall I keep you in a lacquer box? Says the tinker. Not a bit of it. Keep me with you. Let us have a talk now and again. I am very fond of a pipe. I like rice to eat and beans and sweet things. A cup of sake sometimes? Says the tinker. Well, yes, now that you mention it. (laughs) I'm willing, says the tinker. Thank you kindly, says the tea kettle. And as a beginning, would you object to my sharing your bed? The night has turned a little chilly. Not the least in the world, says the tinker. The tinker and the tea kettle became the best of friends. They ate and talked together. The kettle knew a thing or two and was very good company. One day... "'Tinker, are you poor?' says the kettle. "'Yes, I am. "'Middling poor, I'm afraid. "'Well, I have a happy thought. "'For a tea kettle, I am out of the way. "'Really very accomplished.' "'I believe you,' says the tinker. "'My name is Bambuku Tagama. "'I am the very prince of badger tea kettles.' "'Your servant, my lord.' says the tinker. If you'll take my advice, you'll carry me around and show me all about town. I really am out of the way, and it's my opinion you'd make a mint of money. That would be hard work for you, my dear Bambuku, says the tinker. Not at all. Let us start forthwith. So they did. The tinker bought hangings for a theater, and he called the show Bambuku Chagama. How the people flocked to see the fun for the wonderful and most accomplished tea kettle danced and sang and walked the tightrope as to the manner born. It had such tricks and such droll ways that the people laughed till their sides ached. It was a treat to see the tea kettle bow as gracefully as a lord and thank the people for their patience. The Bambuku Chagama was the talk of the countryside, and all the gentry came to see it as well as the commonality. As for the tinker, He waved a fan and took the money. You may believe that he grew fat and rich. He even went to court where the great ladies and the royal princesses made much of the wonderful tea kettle. At last the tinker retired from business, and to him, the tea kettle came with tears in his bright eyes. I'm much afraid it's time to leave you, it says. Now, don't say that, bambuku dear, says the tinker. We'll be so happy together now we are rich. I have come to the end of my time, says the tea kettle. You'll not see old Bumbuku more. Henceforth, I shall be an ordinary kettle. Nothing more or less. Fare thee well. Oh, my dear Bumbuku, what shall I do? Cried the poor tinker in tears. I think I should like to be given to the temple of Morinji as a very sacred treasure, says the tea kettle. And after that moment, it never spoke or moved again. So the tinker presented it as a very sacred treasure to the temple, and the half of its wealth with it. And the tea kettle was held in wondrous fame for many a long year. Some persons even worshipped it as a saint to this day. There is something about Japanese hotels that I love. I want to use the word clean, but that isn't quite right. Maybe they're direct? It's very easy to understand the motives of a character. Their behavior. Maybe I don't agree with the character's choice, but you can still see how or why a person does what they do in a story. In Japanese folklore, there tends to be that simplification, an easy-to-follow narrative that other stories just don't have. And I put that down to the culture, and the style of narrative written during that time. As a result, we get a little time capsule of what it was like back then and the kind of interest that authors had when writing their narratives. That is something that I really enjoy in these kinds of tales. Mates, stick with me Friday, you lovelies, and I'll have a set of stories to sneak under your skin. And as always, till next, we meet.